you'd like to have your Bibles open to Exodus chapter 2, be part of our study. Exodus, Exodus chapter 2. Hope you're doing good this evening, and I am sure we're going to benefit from our time together and our studies. Last week we noticed how Moses ended up in Pharaoh's palace, and this evening we'll notice how he ends up in Jethro's pasture, goes from Pharaoh's palace to Jethro's pastor. Before we get to our reading and discussion, we will bow together. Let us pray. Our Holy Father, with tremendous gratitude, we approach your throne of grace. Understanding, O oh Lord, how good you are and powerful and how humble we need to be in your sight. How thankful we are, Lord, that you have preserved these sacred writings that we can go back again and again and read and, and profit and, and be able to apply uh, things to our hearts and lives that will help us in our walk uh, with you. We pray for each class meeting here at our meeting this evening for our little ones and the teachers that have been preparing. We pray, Father, especially for our moms and dads and for their dedication to their families. We pray, O oh Lord, that, that each of us as moms and dads and grandparents can realize the responsibility that, that we have in your sight. We're thankful, Father, for these, especially these writings of the old times, written for our learning, written for our comfort, written for our encouragement. We're thankful for the opportunity to read about the life of Moses, and for the many concepts that are there that remind us of our responsi responsibility here before you and in, in the New Testament times. Holy Father, we're always mindful of those that are on our list, those that we've heard about this week who are undergoing difficulties in many different ways. We pray your blessing, Father, upon them. Holy Father, we pray that as we study that you would lift up our, our eyes and help us to see what you are doing in this world and how that we can be used by you to benefit others. Lord, we're continuously mindful also of your love for us, of our Savior's life and death, suffering, burial, resurrection, 
ascension up on high, for our Savior's love for us, for his sacrifice, for his example to us. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So Exodus 2 and verse 11 will be our jumping off point this evening. Exodus 2 and verse 11. We will see Moses now grown up. Grown up. When we say grown up, we mean he's going to be about 40 years old. 40 years old. Be ready, if you will, in your Bible to be flipping from Exodus 2 to Acts chapter 7 and 23 because Stephen, in his great sermon from Acts 7, makes several references back to Moses and his life. That's how we learn that when Moses is grown up here, Acts 7 and 23, that he is 40 years old. 40 years old. And then we'll learn later, around verse 30 of Acts 7, we'll learn that when God appears to, to Moses from the burning bush, it's going to be about 40 years later. And then we learn from Deuteronomy 34 that Moses will die at age 120. So 40 years, 40 years, and 40 years. 40 years in Pharaoh's palace, and then about 40 years in leading God's people out of Egypt through the wilderness. So we're able to look at his, his years in this way. He has 40 years in Pharaoh's palace, but he also has 40 years serving in Jethro's pasture. And then 40 years after that, leading the people through the wilderness. So Exodus chapter 2, 11 and 12, we see Moses will come and visit his brethren and look upon their afflictions. Okay. So let's read this together, Exodus 2, 11 and 12. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. And he looked this way and that. And seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. So the parallel reading is from Acts chapter 7 and verses 23 and 24. We'll just glance at that right quick. Acts 7, 23 and 24. Stephen says this, he says, When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by smiting down the Egyptian. Verse 25, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So, Exodus 2, 11 and 12 is parallel to Acts 7, 23 to 25. Okay. So we see that Moses visits his brethren. Now, 
this implies that somewhere along the way, Moses had learned a great deal. He had learned about his identity. He had learned about his brethren. He had learned that they were right there in Egypt. He learned that they were being ill-treated. And he had learned, I think, and I think it's supported here by our readings, he had learned about God and the big picture of God and God's tremendous plan that uh, he was going to orchestrate through his people, the Hebrews, the children of Israel. I believe that Moses knew about God's promise to Abraham. Turn back with me to Genesis 15 for just a second. Genesis 15. God's promise is spoken to Abraham several times in the book of Genesis. But here's one place. Genesis 15 and verse 13. Genesis 15 verse 13. Then the Lord said to Abram. Genesis 15, 13. The Lord said to Abram. Know for certain that your offspring, your seed, will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years, but I will bring them judgment on that nation that they serve, and afterwards they shall come out with a great possessions. Okay. And so he's telling Abram, God knew beforehand, that his people would be landing in Egypt and they would be serving there. And he was going to bring them out after 400 years. It seems to me when you read Exodus 2, 11 and 12 together with Stephen's words in Acts 7 that Moses knew of this great promise of God. That he had been even counting the years, 400 years. And he knew that the 400 years was coming up and that God by his hand, some way or another, would provide salvation to his people. So along the way, these 40 years in Pharaoh's palace, Moses has been learning, progressively learning, about God, about his people, and about his identity. Okay. And Moses had learned about compassion because he went out, it says here, and looked upon his brethren and he saw their afflictions. And he even sees one being beat up by an Egyptian. And what does he do? Well, he looks this way and he looks that way before he strikes the Egyptian, but he strikes him down and then buries him in the sand. One great character trait here we see about Moses is his willingness to defend his brothers. His willingness to stand up for his brothers. And this is a tremendous thing that we can apply to ourselves. Several of the great men mentioned in the New Testament would stand up for their, for their brothers. You might think about uh, Acts chapter 9, 26 and 27, whenever Saul of Tarsus was, was converted. And you know the background of Saul of Tarsus and all the violence and hatred he he showed toward uh, the church in those days. But he was converted. But Acts 9 and 26 says that the early disciples were scared of him. And some of them didn't even believe that he had become a Christian. And we can imagine how that would be so. 
But there was one man, Barnabas, who knew better. He knew the truth. So he brought Saul to the other apostles, to the brethren in Jerusalem, and convinced them that this was a real deal and that we needed to make sure we use this man and stand up for him. Do you remember in, in the uh, church at Corinth, we read in 1 Corinthians 5, the church at Corinth, that there was a man there who, who was committing fornication with his father's wife. It was a huge deal. Paul wrote about it, 1 Corinthians 5. Well, the brethren did do something about it. The brethren did talk to this man. The man evidently repented. And so when you get over to 2 Corinthians 2, verses 6, 7, and 8, you see that Paul is urging them, now that the man has repented and come back home, that they need to forgive him. So notice how Paul is standing up for the man who had once been in, in sin, but now had come back to God. And when Paul said, you need to forgive him. And that's what we do. Just like Moses stood up for his brethren, we stand up for our own brethren. I remember, and you do too, John 12, when, when Jesus is uh, having the meal with Lazarus after Lazarus was resur resurrected and, and uh, Mary and Martha and Mary comes in and anoints Jesus and the, um, the people complain, the brethren complain, Judas complains, but Jesus says in John 12 and verse 7, you leave her alone, she is doing something that's going to be in honor and memory of my burial. So he stands up for her. So Moses here, he comes, he looks upon the afflictions of the brethren, and he stands up for his brothers who are being afflicted. Verses 11 and 12 uh, tell us about this. Now, we need to, before we leave this section here, we need to, we need to explore the heart of Moses. This is, this is a big deal. This is... His life will never be the same after this. Okay. He's been 40 years and he's, he's been learning and he's been enjoying the, the palace area, but he's also uh, been examining himself and who he really is. And when he strikes down this Egyptian, his life will never be the same again. But we have insight into his heart. Okay. So where do we find this insight? Well, Hebrews 11, 24, because you recall that in that great chapter of faith, Hebrews 11 and verse 24, that several different ones like Abraham and, and Abel and Noah and others are mentioned um, concerning their great faith. But Noah is also mentioned. And the way that Noah, I said no, the, Moses is also mentioned. And the way that Moses is mentioned there in Hebrews 11, 24, kind of fits right where we're at there in Exodus 2, 11, and 12. Okay. So just glancing at Hebrews 11, 24, we notice that it says, By faith Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Okay. That fits right here in this, in this big part of his life. 
where he is having to make the decision, I'm going to be, I'm going to be identified with my brothers. I'm going to stand up for them. Okay. In doing this, he had to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Why do you think that was very difficult for Moses? What do you think is difficult about this? He was raised in the palace. Who raised him? Pharaoh's daughter. Okay. In a sense, Moses had two mothers, didn't he? He had, he had his mother okay, and his parents, Amram and, and Jochebed. But Pharaoh's daughter was also his mother. She had, she had embraced him. She, she brought him up. Practically, she provided it for his needs. She provided, you know, we, we can just imagine all the, all the childhood needs, the teenage years, the young years, the, all the ins and outs of bringing up a son. She provided that for him. Practically, emotionally, she was his mother. But notice the depth of Moses' conviction here that he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It had to be very difficult for him on several levels to make this decision, but he does this. Also looking there in Hebrews 11, verse 25, it says, by faith Moses not only refused, but he, he chose. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. There's a lot of understanding behind that. And it fits right here in this time frame of Exodus 2, 11 and 12. But he chose rather, there's some understanding there. Moses understands that to follow God, a person's got to be willing to suffer sometimes. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin. He understood that sin is a reality. And he understood that for the most part in leaving Egypt, he was choosing to, to forsake sin and to follow God. Not to become sinless, of course, but much easier to sin in Egypt than it was in following God uh, into, the, into the desert. So he has an understanding here of both the necessity of suffering sometimes and also the reality of sin. And he understands that, that sin has pleasure, but that's not the type of joy that God can provide. The true joy doesn't come from sin, but it comes from following God. So all of this is part of the heart of Moses as he comes and is identified with his, identifies with his brothers and stands up for his brothers. Continuing there in Hebrews 11, at least one more statement there, it says that by faith Moses, not only did he choose to suffer affliction, but he esteemed. He esteemed. What did he esteem? What did he consider here? If you look at Hebrews 11, 24, 25, and 26, what does he esteem? What does he consider? Does it say something about the reproach of Christ? 
Well, it does. In Hebrews 11, 25, 26, it says, He esteemed the reproach of Christ of greater riches, riches than all the wealth in Egypt. The reproach of Christ. Is it true that, that Moses and others of the patriarchs, did, did they already have an awareness that there was going to be a Messiah coming, that the anointing one was going to be coming? Did, does that kind of hope and awareness go all the way back to Moses? Well, it did. You know, God first promised uh, the Messiah way back in the garden through the seed of the woman. So Moses, I don't know how clear the awareness was, but evidently Moses and understanding the big picture of God, the big program of God, and attaching himself to that, he understood that there was one coming. Okay. He esteemed the reproach of Christ of greater riches than all the wealth of Egypt. And that, that is saying something huge there. But the, the wealth of God... The spiritual wealth of God is greater than any, any sort of riches that we might be able to obtain, as you know. But thinking about the, the riches of Egypt is interesting, and, and you can do your own research on that, but if you find, um, you can just Google, uh, whenever they discovered the, the, uh, the tomb of King Tut, and they found all the riches uh, tucked into that uh, coffin of King Tut uh, of, of Egypt. Uh, just, just my memory of it is that just one piece of gold that came out of the coffin of King Tut was worth, you know, o over a, a half a million dollars. Just one piece of gold. And there were treasures upon treasures tucked away in there. Which gives you an indication that Egypt was one of the richest places in the world. The palace of Pharaoh was was full of riches and Moses, okay, he accounted, he esteemed, he considered that the riches of God were of greater value, much greater value than all the wealth of Egypt. All that plays a part into our little session here in Exodus 2, 11 and 12. You see that Moses had the concept of God's big program we see that Moses is compassionate and we see that Moses is really convicted about this. He, he sees that, that, that God's cause in the world is a, much more important than anything that Egypt could possibly offer him. All right. So I thought that the first section here, as you consider Moses growing up here, age 40, he goes out and sees uh, his brethren. Before we move to the next session, do you have a further comment on, on the heart of Moses here or to some of the particulars of this, how this gets started here in Exodus 2?
good point, Sam, that the, the pharaohs and Egyptians would have their own religions, their false religions, and, and she would be teaching Moses that, and he chose, he chose God. Also remember from Stephen's words in Acts 7, he makes a little remark here that's important in Acts 7. Acts 7.22, it says, And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in both words and deeds. Words and works. He was instructed in all the wisdom of Egypt. But he considered God's education, he considered God's wisdom of greater importance than all the training that he had gotten. I, I suppose that... that um, from the world standpoint in those days, what the wisdom that the Egyptians would give, the universities and the schools that they would be uh, projecting in those days would be the best the world could offer. Moses had been through all that, and yet he was laying that aside uh, for following God. Why do you think he killed The Egyptian? When he struck down the Egyptian, why do you think? Well, uh, I guess he had compassion of his own people and anger. Okay. I, was, I guess when I read it, I just think, well, the Egyptian was beating the Hebrew, and about the only way to stop him was to hit him pretty hard. The only way to stop it was to was to kill him. He says he looked one way and looked the other before he knew it because he, in my mind he's saying to himself, if I'm going to stop this, I'm going to, it's going to have to be a pretty big, I'm going to have to do something pretty big to stop this. And when he did, he evidently killed him and put him in the sand. Okay. Um, Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, correct? Mm -hmm. So, um, he knew the creation story correctly from God. So there's where the lineage of Christ starts. Correct? The, the way that Christ comes into the world. So that's why he chose Christ over what he had. Pharaohs thought they were gods. But if, um, when they left Egypt and the firstborn was killed, that was like killing their god. Mm -hmm. So um, he knew their lifestyle, the way they were, how they lived, and the cruelty they showed to these people that had done nothing wrong. And so that would be <coughs> thinking, here's this cruel person that thinks he's a God, and then there is a God. I, I, would, I would believe most of us have to make that decision in our life. Yeah, yeah. Everybody has to make that choice. Yeah. Okay. A lesser man that Moses would have chosen the, the worldly way because it had been hard to say to no to all those riches and conveniences and positions and, and you can, there's no telling what he could enjoy if he had just stayed there. Good point. All right.
Going back to Exodus 2 now from verses 13 to 15, we see Moses grown up and this time he's trying to unify his own brothers. Okay. The first little section here is that he's grown up, he's 40 years old, and he's, he's going to stand up for his brothers. Now, the next day after he killed the Egyptian, the next day he comes out, he sees two of his own people and they're arguing and they're fighting each other and he's going to try to uh, calm them down. Let's read this uh, together, Exodus 2, in verse uh, 13 through uh, 15. So it says here, when he, when he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said uh, to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, uh, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? And then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is now known. And when Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, sat down by a well. So the next day, he goes out to try to unify uh, his brethren. And they reject him. They reject him. Let's also remember uh, that um, in New Testament times, this is another great character trait to try to create unity on the truth, of course, but to, cre to create uh, unity. Jesus prayed about this in John 17, 20 and 21, as he prayed for everyone who would follow him to be one as he and the Father are one, that they would all be one together with, with the, by staying, on the, staying with the truth. And, Several other New Testament writers um, encourage uh, unity on the truth, unity between brethren. But he's rejected. He's rejected. And uh, he sees the thing has become known, and so he, he flees from Pharaoh, and this is how he lands up uh, in Midian. Now, be thinking in your mind, and you probably already are, but remember... Uh, the promise over in Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 18 is God said to Moses, I'm going to raise up a prophet like unto you who shall bring the whole truth to everybody, who shall teach men all things. And whoever will hearken unto him basically will be saved from his, from his sins. Of course, you're talking about Jesus. So there's a lot of similarities, and we need to be looking for these. There are a lot of similarities between Moses' situation and Jesus' situation. Okay. And you've already picked up on one, right? The conflict at birth, a lot of conflict at Jesus' birth, a lot of conflict here uh, with Moses' birth. And Jesus came unto his own, John 1, 10, 11, 12. Jesus came unto his own people and his own people would not receive him. Here Moses is coming unto his own, trying to unify them together and at first here, they will not uh, receive him. So there are a lot of those similarities between Moses uh, and Jesus. So he comes to the land of Midian. Okay. Uh, do you have Bible maps uh, in the back of your Bible? Uh, if you do, it's really helpful to see uh, Egypt in the time of Moses and the Exodus. And then be able to see where Midian is. Between Egypt and Median is the Red Sea, and, the, and at the northern part of the Red Sea, there are two uh, forks in the river. And um, 
see if I can pick this up. It's the second, it's the second uh, map in my Bible. It's called, at the top, it's called the Route of the Exodus. But if you, if you look at it, there are two forks in the Great Red Sea. One fork is called the Gulf of Suez, and the other is called the Gulf of Aqaba. And right in the midst between those two gulfs is Mount Sinai and um, a mountain range. And, and toward the foot of those mountain ranges is Median, the desert streams and desert places of Median. And this is where Moses flees to. Okay. So um, who is he going to meet there at Median? Who's he going to meet in Median? The what? Who's he going to meet there? He's going to meet Zipporah. Who's Zipporah? She would become his wife. Who is her dad? Jethro. What's Jethro's other name? Ruel. Ruel. Okay. So if you want to find the name of your Ruel, it's right there in Exodus 2. What verse is that to No, 18, when they came home to their father, Ruel. But then if you look at chapter 3 of Exodus 3, verse 1, you find out that he also has the name Jethro. Jethro. Okay. Ruel or Jethro. Okay. So the third part of our little study tonight then is, the first is he comes out to greet his brethren, to see his brethren, and he defends one of his brethren from, from an Egyptian. And then the second part is he comes to unite his brethren, but they reject him. And then he finds out that, that uh, this thing is being known to Pharaoh, and so he has to flee Pharaoh, and he lands in Midian. Now, verses 15 to 25 of Exodus 2, we have Moses in Midian. Okay. And there's a lot going on. Now, Jethro is described in verse uh, 16. Look in your Bible to Exodus 2, 16. Jethro is described as... As a what? Priest of Midian. Priest of Midian. And so this indicates to us that, that God reached out and had relationships with people other than the children of Israel back in, back in the old times. Okay? So let's never lose sight of that. God has always been a, a, a universal God. And he chose... He chose the nation of Israel. He chose Abraham's seed for a particular purpose of, of preparing the world for Christ and bringing Jesus in through uh, that lineage. Okay. But that doesn't mean that God forgot about all the other nations. If you had a heart for God, then he would reach out to you. And one of those men that he reached out to was Jethro. And Jethro became a priest uh, for God. And I'm sure he was a great encouragement uh, to Moses. Who was another Gentile who was a priest to God in Old Testament time? Moses. 
also relevant here that the Midianites were the descendants of a man named Midian. Midian was one of Abraham's sons by his second wife. Right. Midian was one of Abraham's sons of his, from his second wife. So, and so this is how this became. inherited worshiping God from Abraham. Yeah. They would have picked up on some of the spiritual lineage of Abraham. That's a good point. That's a good point. Did you get that? That Median was actually um, from Abraham's second wife. I think her name is Keturah. Keturah. And so this became the land of Median, which would indicate that there would be people in favor toward the true God there. So Jethro was one of these. Who we asked the question, who else not really of the children of Israel would have, was a priest? Melchizedek. Melchizedek, Genesis 14. Priest of the Most High God. So it's, it's good to remember that God had a heart for everybody on earth, but the Bible is written to bring us uh, to God's particular plan that he was working through Christ and not to bring us everything that God was doing uh, in in, in, in all the world. Okay. All right. So he was a priest of Median. And then Moses sits down by a well, which is another kind of a, a uh, likeness to Jesus. You know, Jesus sat by a well in John chapter 4. He was able to talk to the uh, woman at Jacob's well. Here Moses is sitting by a well, and some women come out and to... Um, gather water, but what happens here? The shepherds drove them away. Yeah, some other shepherds drove them away. And what does Moses do? That's right. So it says, verse 17, the shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And then they came home and told their father, Ruel, Jethro, about this situation. Okay. Here's another great character trait of, of Moses. Moses would try to unify his brother. Moses would stand up for his brother. But here Moses is standing up for complete strangers uh, to give them assistance. Okay. We need to do the same thing today. And for in our situation, one of the things that's bringing such havoc to the world is is false teaching about Christ, false teaching about God. It's, it's everywhere. It permeates everywhere you turn. There's false teaching about God. And it's, it's, that's one thing that we can do to help people in the world. Okay. We, we need to help people. These women here were being driven away by, by just some evil men, some other shepherds. Okay. Uh, but we have people today who who are being afflicted by false teachers and sometimes they don't even know it. And we need to step in and, and try to help them in the situation. Moses, Moses just had that about him. Moses uh, was a tremendous man. And so we see him here at the well and we see him um, being able to meet Jethro and his family here. Zipporah was one of the women there and the, the daughters of Jethro were out there at the well and they would go home and they tell 
Ruel about the situation and what does what does he ask? Why did you leave him? Hmm? He says, Why did you leave him there? Yeah, exactly. And, Verse, they, and they thought he was an Egyptian. So right. they were being kind. You know, because they brought this man that wasn't of their faith and and had been cruel to the people of God. <coughs> they were still going to be kind and bring this man that they thought was an Egyptian into the Okay. Yeah, they did think that he was an Egyptian. Okay. And um, but it, in verse 18 it says, "How is it that you have not uh, that you have come home uh, so soon today?" In verse 19, an Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and even drew water for us and watered the flock. He said, um, "Then where is he?" That's a good question. That's a good. Where is he? Where is he? Uh, Jethro's. Basically saying, I taught you better than this. You, we would bring a man like that home and at least give him a good meal. Where is he? How did you leave him out there? That's an excellent question uh, from him. And so as you know, uh, Moses comes to that house and eventually um, Jethro gives Zippor to him for a wife. And uh, Moses has uh, children with Zippor. Who's the first child here? Of Moses. His name is Gershom, and he named him that because Moses says, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. It's, it's really helpful, and these, these kind of words here help us to think about this, but it, it's helpful to put ourselves in Moses' situation, how difficult it was for him to leave Egypt. First, it was difficult to leave Pharaoh's house. Then it was difficult. He was trying to help his brothers there in Egypt, and, and he had to leave them. And so he must have felt pretty lonely going now way out uh, in the backside of the desert here, way on the other side of Mount Horeb. And um, now he is uh, in a, a, he feels like a foreigner, sojourning in a foreign land. So he calls Gershom. Uh, Gershom because of that. But think about what Genesis, or rather Exodus 3 verse 1 says here. Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, uh, the mountain of God. Moses spent a lot of time around that mountain of God. And um, Later, when he brings God's people to this place, he is really, he is, uh, really familiar with this, this area. Think about the education that Moses is receiving now. He had received this education in Egypt. Well, look how much more valuable this education is going to be. This education out here in the wilderness. This education out here keeping the, the flock. It's interesting how many of the Bible people were shepherds, like David was a shepherd. And how often that, that um, God's people are referred to as sheep and that God is the shepherd leading the sheep. Okay. And you can look up those verses yourself, but this leads us to think about Jesus being uh, the good shepherd. This is another likeness between Moses 
and Jesus. They're both, in a sense, called uh, shepherds. But I think about the importance of this type of education, spending time, spending a long time with God, spending time in His Scripture, spending time in prayer to Him. There really is no substitute for that. We, we, can't, we can't replace that kind of education with anything that we do here at church. It's very important um, to be able to establish that one-on-one -on -one situation with God. This is one of the great things that parents can help their children to do, is to help them have a long time with God, encourage a long time uh, with God. It seems like we've gone to a different direction in our day. We, we're afraid that our children are not going to be around other children enough, uh, but really, it's good for them to have some really a long time, especially with teach them how to, to spend time thinking about God, thinking about what He has done, thinking about what he, he can do in the future, and helping them to contemplate those kinds of thoughts. So we find Moses here, once he's in Midian, he meets Jethro and his family. He's able to get married. He's able to have children. By the way, Moses has two children. Right here, what was the name of the other ch child with Zipporah? Anybody remember the other child of Moses with Zipporah? Like Gershom and then who? Gershom. Gershom. Does anybody remember? Eliezer? Eliezer? Exodus 18 has the answer. But he has, he has a family here. Then he's able to spend all this time keeping the uh, flock of Jethro. And God's going to eventually appear to him in that burning bush. Forty years in Pharaoh's palace. Now, forty years in Jethro's pasture. What is God doing with, with Moses? He's preparing him for this mission of bringing his people out of Egypt. And God does that. He prepares us. He prepares people uh, to do things for him. It's a great thought. What, um, what other comments do you have about some of these happenings in the life of Moses? When he left the palace, he, he went out without any protection. It was just him against the elements. You know, he had been protected all his life at the palace and by Pharaoh's daughters. And he just, when he left, he had to really depend on God. Good point. Good point. He would have had all sorts of protection there at the palace. But now it's just him, him and the elements, him and the world. It, the more you think about what Moses did, it's, it's an amazing, amazing thought. It's, a, it's an inspiring story. And I encourage you to read, especially read Exodus 2, Acts 7, with Hebrews 11, and just continuously reading those together. And it really is, it really is an eye-opener. But we're able to bring out 
some important traits of Moses this evening. First, he stood up for his brethren. He tried to unite his brethren, but also he stood up for strangers. Moses was constantly standing up for other people and had other people um, in his mind. So it's, it's amazing with all the wealth and convenience he had, how he was able to become such an unselfish uh, person. I believe Deuteronomy 34 describes Moses as the meekest man that ever lived. It's a great, great commentary on, on his life. Thank you for reading through these passages and, and seeing some of these truths that God has for us. We'll take a few minutes break. <laughs> 